Welcome back to this episode of Chatterbox. Today we're going to be talking and discussing the theme of colour and finding your personal palette. Having been brought up by a mother that was an oil painter and having studied art and graphic design at art college in my younger days, the key thing that's always driven my inspirations as a makeup artist is an approach to colour, whether that be very graphic and very cartoon-like. I mean, obviously I worked for Walt Disney in my earlier days in my career, so I was driven heavily by the colours of Walt Disney and those graphic Mickey Mouse red, yellow, blue primary colours, but also extending that to colours that were more abnormal and corrupted and something a little bit more interesting or something that I wanted to find my own perspective on it. And so I think your journey as a makeup artist is really a signature of colour that you have to find and establish yourself. And this week has truly been inspiring to me in so many ways. So many people that I've had conversations and met this week regarding colour and it just led me to want to talk a little bit this week about our personal relationships with colour, how some people are paralysed with fear about colour, how to wear strong colour or relationships with wardrobe and colour or like myself people that are surrounded by colour all the time and yet their wardrobe is 100% black. It's an emotional relationship, it's subjective and objective and colour affects everybody in so many ways that I thought it would make a great conversation subject this week for you. One of my companion books when I'm looking at colour as a reference book and just for inspiration is a book called The Secret Lines of Colour by Cassius St. Clair. It's a book I really do love and it basically stories and tells you about 75 of the most fascinating colours, shades, dyes and hues and it goes through history of painters and what's inspired people to use certain colours and it really allows your mind to expand a tour and walk through colour without ever really leaving your paint box and I think the key thing about this is it really goes to prove that when you go into there to research more about colours or why certain colours drove certain artists to certain things, it gives you a platform for knowledge but it also gives you so much insight into the thinking mind of why certain artists painted a certain way or how they sort of formed their craft and how they built their subjectivity with colour. And building a personal palette is something very personal to me as a makeup artist because I really feel that over the years I've really had to establish and understand what colours I am comfortable with and what colours I just don't have a strong relationship with. So certain colours on the colour wheel talk to me more than others and I think that that sort of thing shapes your work as a makeup artist, which colours you naturally gravitate to and finding your own personal palette that is a palette that you have to feel comfortable with, that you want to express yourself with. As a makeup artist you do have to use all colours in the platform but it's essentially trying to find things which are your personal expression and I find that really useful. So The Secret Lives of Colour is a great book for any makeup artist or anybody just wanting to study a bit more about colour and refresh their thinking or go into the historical values of colour and I totally recommend that book for anybody in a creative field because I think it will give you a strong affinity to some of that knowledge and missing information about certain colours that you would not necessarily gravitate to and I think it will definitely help you as a supporting tool, particularly if you're an aspiring makeup artist or studying at college I think that would be definitely one to grab. I didn't want to use the Chatterbox platform this week to talk about colour theory because I think there's so much information out there on colour theory and also if you have a colour wheel you'll be able to find that information very easily and it's just a case of reading the theory, absorbing it, learning it and seeing how you utilise that in everyday makeup artistry such as colour correction or deliberate colour clashing. But really finding your palette is about trying to establish your relationship with colour and how you find a path towards how you want to express yourself with it. So for me personally, what I try and think of when I think of colour is I split the wheel into 
sort of two halves like anybody does, cool colours and warm colours. But I think of it in stories, so more of a graphic colour story, or that would lead you to things like pop art or cartoonism, or a romantic story which is a lot more soft and delicate and flowing, and even like colour blocking, like fauvism and things which are far more, you know, graphic shapes and geometry and editorial shapes also have an approach and an affinity towards colour for me. So for me personally, I've always found that desaturated colours, colours which are not strong and bold, are actually the ones that I resonate with the most and I really appreciate the most. It is my personal palette. Anybody that knows me knows that my personal colour choices would be all tonal, they would all be mixed with grey, and I'm obsessed with monochrome. Monochrome is fascinating to me. The value scale, the way I teach at the makeup school, is all built on dimension through monochrome. And so for me, desaturated colours, which are colours that have added grey, are really beautiful to me and I feel them very much expressive and almost more sensual than very strong bold colours. So for sensuality I always tend to be led and drawn towards mixing greys into colours and I think you know when I did things like the Art of Male makeup book it's obvious that the desaturation comes through that very clearly. Saturation being very strong doesn't really talk to me as much and that might surprise you because if you've been to House of Glam Dolls our makeup studio is a complete colour paint box explosion of vivid, strong, saturated colours. And I think that that's important that when you walk into an inspiring environment of colour, it's not necessarily projected onto you what you should feel or express yourself with in terms of colour. I like the fact that our studio is very colourful and it is giving so many options to so many people for inspiration and for ideas but it doesn't sort of impose a colour theory on you or impose a type of style on you. It's an open platform for you to interpret yourself. As a makeup artist, we know that when we add white to a colour, we make a tint. So this takes us to the pastel kind of selection of our kit. And it's important as a makeup artist, you have some really good white products in your kit. Some of the key things I'd always carry in mind are White Face and Body by MAC Pro. I think this is a given makeup classic for anybody needing to use white in makeup artistry. And also my own Chroma Wheel um, Creative Base in Light, which is a white silicon-based foundation, is a really easy application and smooth white to give you really great payoff for white foundations if you're doing something more fantasy-based, more editorial, or more of a geisha, or more inspiring with Instagram. A white base is really critical to getting a smooth finish. So the Light um, Creative Base does give you such an easy time when you apply it. And also you could intensify that with a white blusher as a powder from Illamasqua, such as Intrigue, or you could use Ben Nye White, Super White Powder. But having good whites in your kit is really important. And I do think that working with the pastel side of it is very difficult editorially, because essentially as soon as you pick up pastels, it takes you into a very soft pastel Hello Kitty type of world, and it can be dangerously close to unicorns and all of that sort of fantasy that goes with pastels. So I think trying to corrupt pastels and make them just a little bit more intriguing is a difficult challenge for an advanced makeup artist. So there's the challenge. Let's see how we can bring pastels out of Hello Kitty and Kawaii and into something more sophisticated. Adding black into a colour takes it to the technical term shade. And just adding a touch of black into any of the colours does corrupt it quite nicely to give it more depth. So this is something as a makeup artist you can definitely try when you're mixing and trying to get those deeper tones of colour. Mixing in a deep, deep blue or a black is going to really give you a lovely shade and depth. Now colour itself can be quite confusing and challenging. To some people they really do get an emotional confusion when they look at colours. 
definitely having a makeup school when I see students sort of fumbling around with the eyeshadow palettes and not knowing which colours to pick or which colours to choose. I think that comes from an innate state of fear. There just too many choices, too many options and too many narratives that the colours are in a sense talking to them and it confuses them to almost a paralysis where they don't make a move on advanced state. They tend to just freeze and seize and actually don't make a move. So often just choosing a colour gives you a really good starting point to get yourself out of that sense of fear. And this really led me to thinking of one of the things I've always been fascinated about, which is black mirrors. I mean, I love black as a theory, as a colour in every context and every design aspect. I mean, it's no secret that I love Rakoans and I love any sort of fashion sense that's driven by black or the Japanese designers. But in art, black mirrors were something very, very fascinating to me because what they could do was turn off the confusion of colour by looking in a glass, which was a black mirror, and it'd be slightly convex in shape. And they could turn their back on the subject and look at the reflection in the black mirror and actually see it in a tonal scale or a value scale. And it helped to really just sort of suppress the colours and make those surroundings a lot simplified. And it gave them a tonal range of the scenery. It was often used mainly in scenery painting and landscape painters. I mean, painters such as Claude Lorraine, who was like infamous for using a Claude mirror or a Claude glass. This black mirror really does give an idea and appreciation of the value scale of tones that you need to get within your work. And I think that that is something that drove my fascination with monochrome, the fact that painters had originally suppressed colour and switched it off to create their masterpieces. And I find that idea very, very inspiring. When looking at the world in a black mirror and only looking at the tonal values, it was very poignant to me while watching Glow Up this week that one of the contestants, Lee Easthoe, was faced with the challenge of creating a cut crease in colours and has a condition which is colour blindness related. And I found that that was a very, very tough challenge for anybody to work in 12 minutes with colour in a cut crease technical precision task. But imagine how difficult that would be if you were fueled by having an impaired colour vision. And I just can't relate to that in the sense that my whole world is driven by colour and yet I can elect to switch that off and work in value or switch that on and using colour. But here was a contestant faced with that challenge without that option. And that really spoke to me. I found it very inspiring. And I guess that was also amplified because I've had recent conversations with being advising, you know, makeup for the blind and having to think about how makeup artistry affects people that are impaired vision and how you would work to create makeup and express yourself if you don't have vision. I mean, colour vision is not that level of a disadvantage, but if you have no vision, how do you work with makeup to make sure that you feel you can express yourself? So these conversations were going through my mind and watching this episode of Glow Up This Week, it was really poignant and inspiring to see somebody overcoming this difficulty and actually pushing themselves to succeed. And I will always support anybody that pushes adversity and always fights against the odds to literally deliver creativity. And I really applaud that, and particularly in Lee this week. I think the nation melted when they saw his struggle and how he managed to overcome that. As a creative, I like to surprise myself with colour and just literally mix in surprise, corruptive colours. So if I'm mixing a colour, I like to surprise and actually add something I have no idea what will happen and just literally see how I react to that and then try and work from there. So I'm guessing my sense of colour is quite advanced, having been working with colour so many years that I feel confident to literally escape from that. But one of the tips I always advise my students when they're newer to colour is that when they're trying to create rainbow eyes or they're trying to work out the colour placements and the colour relationships is to use the yellow colour as an anchor colour and 
What I find is if you exit through yellow, you can find your way back and navigate colour quite easily. And so that means that if you start with like an orange, obviously with orange you've got red and yellow, so you can add more red and yellow. And from yellow you can add blue and go to green and come back out to yellow. So I tend to find that yellow is an escape route that goes to most colours with the exception of purple. And I find that when you're travelling around a colour wheel, it's really important that you don't get lost and you know the relationship colours have. So to all those aspiring makeup artists, I would really encourage you to learn the theory of colour and make sure that you understand the relationship between analogous colours, colours that are next to each other on the colour wheel, to really help you sort of work out what those natural transition blends are and how you can do that. And again, if you're struggling with that, practice makes perfect. Or finding your way through that is essentially what you have to do and find your own personal way of navigating that palette. But for me, I think if I'm in doubt, yellow tends to be the colour I grab for. And that leads me also to how much I use yellow when I'm doing deeper skin tones or black skin. It amazes me that there are so many yellow-based skins when you reach the deeper skin tones that tend to be given mismatches of red foundations and things which are too strongly in those tones, too warm. And one of the things I always keep in my kit is yellow creative base, which is called Optimist, because what that is, it's a sunshine yellow silicon-based foundation, and I mix it into all my black foundations that might be too NW or too red. And if I find that a colour is just not sallow enough, or olive enough, or just hasn't got enough yellow to it, Having a pure yellow foundation really does give me confidence to mix that in and create those more skin realism shades. So a thing there for aspiring makeup artists I really advise is having a bottle of yellow foundation in your kit will really act as an escape mechanism. So if you've bought some foundations, you're not happy with them on deeper skin tones, maybe they're looking a little bit too red and you're feeling that you're not getting the matches quite right, having a yellow foundation really does help you when you're working with Latin skin, Mediterranean skin, Southeast Asian skin, but also in deeper skin tones and the olive complexions in general, it's a good thing to be able to neutralise. So look out for yellow foundation or check out our Chroma Wheel one at House of Glam Dolls, which gives you yellow foundation for all those mixing needs. Another fascinating conversation I had this week at the studio was with a film makeup artist. The film makeup artist was really busy and sent their assistant in, and what one of the challenges was, was to create a consistent foundation colour that would correct redness and take down floridness, but in a period film of about 1900s, 1917 to be specific. So in this type of context constraint, when you might be in very excruciating high definition and subjective to daylight temperatures and makeup will be scrutinised and really magnified in terms of its precision, it's really important you've got a good take on what skin realism would look like in that climate. So we worked through the Chroma Wheel system with this makeup artist and showed her that we could use the mixology to create the sodium hyaluronate and to create a skincare product. And then we could make any shade of green based on mixing blue and yellow. So this was using the creative bases. And from blue and yellow we got to green, which would correct the redness. The skincare made it very sheer and transparent, more like a green veil. And then we could add white to get the brightness. And once we'd actually mixed up a batch of this, it was quite clear this would be really helpful to try and navigate and also use coverage to conceal to try and actually eradicate this issue. And then obviously for consistency on film and for continuity, we would need to work out that relationship and ratio of those colour drops to make sure we could recreate and replace and actually create that product again 
So I think one of the things which was interesting here is just how advanced colour theory and how practical colour theory can be for makeup artists in terms of the domain of what we need to do as a professional job, particularly if you're doing fashion or runway or editorial or camera work or film, it's critical that you know your colour theory. So again, to all aspiring makeup artists, really do your research, really know this stuff, and you should have it so intrinsic to you that you just literally have it on demand and that you know what you're doing without thinking. And then by that time, you're so competent and so unconsciously competent that you'll find that it just comes to you whenever you need that to succeed and also empower your makeup artistry. Many of the Renaissance painters actually painted in green as an underpainting, and then they would paint the value and the tones on top of that. So it's quite interesting that green comes up in makeup artistry so often, whether it's colour, you know, redness reduction, or whether it is something that is actually an underpainting to put a desaturated colour value down. And then from that point, you can actually increase that with saturation and build up the skin tones on top of that. So green as an artistic tool is fascinating. And again, it just brings back the power of primary colour knowledge and subtractive colour theory. Since I was a child, I've always been fascinated with Egypt. If I did a degree again, it would be a case of doing an Egyptology degree. I'm always fascinated in that. Anything to do with Egypt, the pyramids, mysticism, magic, rituals, any of that type of stuff, and also my fascination of crystals. It is something that always speaks and resonates to me. And my product of the week this week is inspired by that. It is a series of eye pencils from a brand called Eye of Horus. It's a brand I've had in my kit for some years, but it's something that I think is still very much a small niche brand. And every time I reach for these pencils, they are absolutely mind-blowing at how much they stay on. It's an Australian brand, which means that it's been tested in humidity and heat, so you can pretty much rely on the fact that it survives the destination of being inside the eye and not running. But the Eye of Horus pencils are something for makeup artists to definitely seek out. There's a small palette of colours which I like because it enables you to really edit your colour choices down to a micro kit. And you know that I'm all about carrying less is more at the moment in my kit and personal makeup artistry. So by shrinking down the colour choices just to enhancers and colours that will enhance the iris, it's a very sensible choice. But look out for those Eye of Horus. They've even been featured in things like exhibitions in the British Museum alongside the Egyptian exhibits, which I think is a really clever association to get people to try those type of brands. But something from my kit to yours, and I hope you'll have a chance to seek those out. Eye of Horus pencils. Well, that's about it for this episode. I hope this talk about colour has given you some new insights, whether it's getting the Secret Lives of Colour book, or whether it's thinking about impaired vision of colour, or how you look through a black mirror at the world through shades of grey and monochrome, I hope you find something fascinating in here to inspire your week, and I look forward to having you again with me for the next episode of Chatterbox.